0: You are tuned to WERU FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. Common Ground with your hosts from Mafka is up next. Good morning. Welcome to Common Ground, an hour on local food and agriculture hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. My name is Melissa White Pillsbury. I'm the Organic Marketing Coordinator at MOFCA and your host for today's show. This is a monthly show airing on the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m. here on WERU. We're open to suggestions on future show topics and guests, so please contact us with your thoughts and ideas through our website, www.mofca.org. In this first show of 2012, we're celebrating the new year with a show dedicated to a favorite winter activity of farmers and gardeners, which is to pour over the pile of seed catalogs that have arrived in the mail. These publications are symbols of the promise of the season to come with an endless abundance of flavors, colors, and textures just waiting to come alive. I can think of no better way to spend a chilly Friday morning in January than to daydream with our guests and listeners about all the great growing goodness to come in the months ahead. We have in the studio today three guests from two of the country's premier seed companies, who altogether represent over 50 years in the business. First, Paul Galeone joins us from Johnny's Selected Seeds and is the technical services technician there, and he can explain to us what that means in a little bit. Um, Paul has been actively engaged in agriculture since the mid-'70s. He started as a field hand on a farm when he was in high school, and he moved on to get a degree in agronomy and now runs his own farm uh, in addition to his work in, at Johnny's. From Fedco Seeds, we welcome Roberta Bailey, who's the coordinator of the Fedco Seed Division and has been with the company for 22 years. She manages the seed division's inventory and runs their germination testing lab. also from Fedco, we have Heron Breen, who works both with seed growers and on Fedco's own vegetable trials to continually improve seed quality and disease resistance. And uh, here he does a bit of warehouse work as well. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that all three of our guests today have their own farms. Roberta grows seed crops for three seed companies, as well as a commercial garlic crop on her MoFCA-certified organic farm in Basselboro. Heron also grows garlic, saves seed, and likes to play around with plants in general on his small MoFCA-certified farm in Exeter. And Paul has a small farm in Waldo, where he raises house tomatoes, strawberries, and a mix of other vegetables and flowers for his farm stand. So we've got lots of knowledge and experience here in the studio today, so it's going to be a great day to um, call in with your questions um, about a pretty wide variety of topics, including the seed catalog. Um, And uh, we can dream about what's to come in the, the coming growing season. But before we begin the conversation with our guests, I'd first like to introduce a MOFCA colleague who's also in the studio, who a few of you may have met sometime during his last 30 years or so working to shape Maine's farming future. Good morning, Russell.
1: Hi, Melissa. Happy to be here.
0: And uh, we have a few seasonal items of interest to share about what's going on at MOFCA and beyond. It's a busy month for educational events in Maine for farmers. Uh, Next week is the main Agricultural Trade Show at the Augusta Civic Center. MOFCA has a whole day of workshops on Tuesday of the show, including our annual organizational meeting. And the show is for three days, so it continues through Thursday. You can find a schedule of what we've got going on there uh, on our website at mofca.org. The following Thursday, the 19th, We'll have a one-day conference for all Maine farmers and fishermen interested in the cooperative model of doing business. And, <clears throat> excuse me, it's called By Land and By Sea, Leveraging Co-ops for Business Success. It's being organized by the Eat Local Foods Coalition of Maine and will be held at Moffka's Common Ground Education Center in Unity. Registration information can be found at www.eatmainfoods.org And there's still room to sign up for that great conference. And wrapping up the m- busy month is the Maine Farmers Market Convention, which is on January 27th and 28th at the Haraseka Inn in Freeport. Full schedule and registration information can be found through the Down East Business Alliance website, downeastbiz.org. And finally, a few deadlines in January to note. Uh, January 15th is the deadline for applicants to MOFCA's Journeyperson Program, um, which is MOFCA's New Farm Incubator Program. It's a two-year program, provides support to new farmers. And January 27th is the deadline for loan applications uh, for two loan programs, for sm- for small loan programs for Maine farmers, um, MOFCA's Organics Farmer Loan Fund. And you can get application information on our website. And slow money mains no small potatoes loan fund. And you can get information about applying for that at No Small Potatoes Investment dot com. Okay. I think that's everything.
1: <laughs> Phew. It, it's a lot. And I think one of the <laughs> one one thing that just jumps for me is you know, there's this image that farmers are out there in the summer, and then the rest of the year they're just kind of kicking back. And the reality is, it, it's a 12-month job. And the and the winter job is, you're know, learning, figuring out what to do differently, puzzling out how to how to solve problems, getting financing in order, and all of the workshops that MAFCA and many other groups offer through the winter are really intended to to fill those holes so that people. When it gets warm, when people are really able to be outside, they're not. Oh, how are we going to do this? They already have a strategy in place, and it's in many ways the same when you go through your seed catalog.
0: I'd like to remind you that you're listening to Common Ground, an hour on local food and agriculture here on your community radio station WERU FM, and for today's show, we're planning for the the coming season and talking about what. We're seeing in our seed catalogs and um, have some great guests here to ask all of your your questions. Um, and we'll be taking those calls in just a few minutes, but first I want to give our guests a chance to introduce themselves. We have Heron Breen and Roberta Bailey from Fedco Seeds and Paul Gallione from Johnny's Selected Seeds. And thank you all very much for joining us today. Um, perhaps we can have each of you start out by introducing yourselves and maybe sharing a personal highlight from this year's catalog or maybe a trial or another project you've got planned for the year that you're particularly excited about. Paul, would you like to start?
2: Certainly. First off, uh, I would just like to say thank you very much to uh, WERU and MOFCA for the invitation uh, so we can discuss uh, and answer some questions. Uh, First off, I'd just like to make uh, notice of a few uh, highlights in our catalog for 2012 this year. Uh, We have a number of new products, a number of new organic offerings. Uh, The Defiant uh, tomato, which is our phytophthora-resistant tomato, we're now offering uh, as an organic product. Uh, We also uh, have a new um, organic pepper that was bred right here in Albion. Uh, It's called Highlander. It's a new Anaheim-type pepper. Uh, I think a lot of people will be excited about that. And in the pepper area, we also have Carmen, uh, which is a... Another Johnny's bread variety uh, that came out a number of years ago, but this year uh, we're also offering that in the organic, uh, in the organic seed. A uh, number of other programs uh, and products that we have this year, uh, something that we're really excited about in the flower area, uh, a new product called fusible pellets. Uh, it's a, uh, a new product where uh, it'll enable our growers to actually produce uh, baskets, color bowls, hanging baskets with a really nice uh mix because what happens here is we actually, well, the seed producer takes a number of seeds, encodes them in a pellet, and those are planted in a plug tray, transplanted into the bowl. So you get a really nice mix right at the start. Uh, and again in the uh, flower area, we have a new cut flower, uh, cut sunflower called Procut Red. Uh, And that's just a new red addition to our ProCut series. We think that'll round it out nice. Uh, Also in the tool area, um, we have our new movable high tunnel bender, uh, which is something that we've worked quite a bit on. And we do feel that that's going to offer a lot of growers just some more flexibility in their high tunnel programs. Uh, and I just do want to back uh, backpedal just a little bit here. I forgot about uh, an introduction that we have uh, an exclusive here for, actually, the United States, which is the flower sprout uh, kaleidoscope mix. Uh, it's it's a really unique product. Um, it's a Brussels sprout that opens like a flower. So imagine a flowering kale type thing all arranged in that you you know, the same type of arrangement that you'd find a Brussels sprout in. Uh, We're really excited about that. It's a new uh, release from Tozier's uh, in England. So that just rounds out, you know, a number of our uh, new items. We do uh, are offering German Johnson and Black Crim, uh, two heirloom varieties, as organic this year also.
3: Great.
0: Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Roberta, would you like to go next?
3: Hi. Yeah, um, I'm really pleased that fedco has been increasing our um, trials programs and one of the things that we've been focusing on is replacing some of the varieties that we dropped because um, when seminus was bought out by monsanto um, we dropped some of our hybrid a lot of our hybrid tomatoes because they were sold by now by monsanto Um, and we've, we've picked up Bobcat, um, which is a hybrid as a, as a replacement for big beef and, um, is an excellent, almost a dead ringer for big beef, very productive. And we're really happy with that. Um, we've also picked picked up Lucy, Lucy 2103, which is a hybrid that, um, replaces Buffalo, which is a hoop house tomato. And we're real happy with the performance of, of Lucci. And, um, and the third tomato that we picked up is Premio, which is a hybrid that also um, is an indeterminate cluster tomato. And that picks up, um, that replaces early cascade for us. And these are things that we've been looking for for four or five years now. So we're quite happy to have those um, in our lineup this year. Um, We also, one of the things that I'm personally interested in and incredibly excited about is and rice. Um, that's an organic production that I actually did on my farm. I've been looking for rice strains that will mature in Maine and have, after trying probably 10 different varieties over a few years, have selected Duborskian to mature well in Maine and um, have a rice crop of it this year available through Fedco. Wow, that's really
0: exciting. Yeah. Morning, Heron.
4: Hi. How you doing? Good. Well, everybody is really excited. Uh, it seems like uh, our customers are uh, purchasing seed at a rapid rate, and particularly a lot of our uh, interesting varieties. Uh, this year, we're happy to finally have um, a crop, a reliable crop of German pole bean, which is a flat, similar to a Romano type pole but with its own distinct tenderness, its own distinct flavor. And for me, I I really, I think pole beans are one of those things where when we think about beans, this type of super productive bean, um, you can fit it into any corner of your garden, any corner Mm -hmm. of your farm. You don't have to plan out row footage and it's just a delight and continues to produce tender pods without seeds for a prolonged season. It's great. then we've had a couple other interesting things. Another pole bean, many years ago, um, probably six, six years ago now, we offered true red cranberry pole bean, which is probably one of the oldest known pole bean cultivars that you know was offered in seed companies back in the days. And uh, that's probably, to me, one of the most exciting things we're offering in the catalog just because of its provenance. It's a perfectly round... Um, Dry pole bean that looks just deep red when it's perfect. Looks like a cranberry. Delicious to eat. It's very unique. Um, you know, we're probably one of the few companies offering it, and, and those things are are exciting. And uh, you know that that those things go along with our trial program, and it's nice when we get a, a combination, a good a good dovetail of uh, commercially uh, functional varieties as well as heirlooms that just you know the put the lace on things i like that and this year also we have petite gris uh, musk melon in organic seed which is kind of the um, melon growers melon it's a pretty particular little melon it doesn't look like much from the outside and uh, but when you eat it it really knocks your socks off it's an old melon from france and um it's not like anything most of us have seen. Uh, over the last couple of years, we've trialed it and wanted to carry it, and we finally bit this year. And uh, we'll see whether people like it. I think they will. So uh, all in all, the seed season's going off with a bang, and uh, you know, we're we're all you know just as excited as the customers. I think.
1: Okay. And and. I, I know I've been in my seed catalog just like you all have been, and you've probably actually got your orders in, which is further mm-hmm. than I am. <laughs> but you know, I think one of the things that would be interesting to people is this this balance between standbys, things that you've been growing and you just know they're going to work, and experimenting, and how much how much do each of you um, kind of stretch the boundaries, or do you pick a crop each year that you're going to try a lot of different new new items? You know, and i 'm speaking more in your in your personal farmer's hat but it 's also totally true for each of you and your companies um, you know, this year 's melon trials well every year 's melon trials for heroin, I know, but, but you know, how do you, how do you balance that out because obviously we can 't all grow everything every year well um, i 'll
2: just jump in here uh, personally on my own farm, what I try to do is Uh, with each crop group and generally I try to grow about five different crops uh, to put out at the farm stand which uh, is something that has evolved over the years to you know crops that have a good shelf life out at the farm stand with no refrigeration but generally I'll try a new variety out of each one of those groups each year Uh, I do have my tried and trues that I stay with uh, but I'll work in some of the new varieties uh, in terms of our trials program at Johnny's, which is quite extensive, um, we have a very s- we have set goals that we uh, work on each year for each crop. Uh, but in general, what we try to do is just to make sure that our, our core customers, our direct market commercial growers, have new options uh, that will help them be successful in their businesses. And whether that's through improved disease resistance, uh, flavor, quality, shelf life, you know, just, you know, our major goal is just to help out our customers be successful.
3: This is Roberta. On, On my home farm, I put up a lot of food, so I'm always... I have my mainstays, you know, my tried and true paste tomatoes and this and that, but um I'm always trying new paste varieties, looking for something that's even better um, i am also I'm a writer, and this year I'm writing some articles on Asian greens, so i'm doing a, looking at a lot of Asian green varieties this year, you know some some um Hansai Thai type things, some sprouting broccoli and uh, some other Chinese cabbage. And um, I love the purple Pak choys. you know, the real delicate little absolutely gorgeous Pak choys. And I love hot peppers. So um, as well as producing five or six seed crops of hot peppers a year, I am... I always have a row or two of 30 or 40 varieties that I'm looking at to see if they do well in Maine. And a lot of what I do on my home farm, I also pass on to Fedco. Aaron?
4: Well, uh, my farm is somewhat ridiculous in terms of its varietal <laughs> scope. So I wouldn't recommend trying it at home. So, <laughs> um, th- you know, for an example, this year, we did do a melon trial and there was probably uh, 35 different melons in that trial, um, which is, you know, and that was for Fedco. Um, winter squash-wise, I think this year I, I grew 40 different or 50 different types of winter squash, and that's a sizable reduction from previous year. But, you know, for me, the, right now, it's kind of interesting you talk about what, what are we doing. And, and right now, while we're all thinking about our gardens, you know, we're also planning this, com- this coming summer's trials at Fedco while we're you know, highlighting what we're doing in this catalog. So, you know, when when you're in this business, but as well as someone who enjoys plants, um, you're, you're always kind of have your eye out for what's interesting. And I think, you know, farmers, you know, consistently are using their judgment about that. And you know, for for me, you know, I really enjoy looking at a diverse amount of stuff. And then, you know, I continually realize that out of those 40 or 50 different things, there's really only two or three or four or five that are that I'm going to suggest to someone as a reliable, productive variety. It doesn't mean that some of the other ones don't have traits or flavors that are delightful, but that, you know, and that's nice because then I'll, you know, I basically grow those four or five, you know, until I get an itch and decide to try another hundred varieties of something ridiculous. So,
0: (laughs) Great. I'd like to remind you that you're listening to Common Ground Radio, an hour on local food and agriculture hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association here on WERU. And um, I think we'll open up the the show now to take calls for those of you who have uh, questions, comments um, to share with us. The number to the studio here is 4690500 and uh we'll just keep we'll continue the conversation here on our own until we get a call in
1: so if you're down to one variety you can only grow one thing in your garden this year what are you growing <laughs> I know be that's, cool here. that's a
2: question i don't want to contemplate actually <laughs>
3: <laughs> sometimes i've contemplated that question i think i wrote an article once where i said if i could only grow one thing it would be and stalled right about there, but I ended up with a tomato because, I mean, I think a lot of people, if they can only grow one thing, they grow tomatoes, but then I thought, oh, but what's a tomato without fresh basil, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and then the lettuce, and (laughs) going on from there. Uh, We do
0: have a, oh, actually, we have two callers, so um, we'll take the first one. Can you give us your name and where you're calling from?
5: Hello, my name is Carol, and I am calling from Hope. Hi, I had a question about uh, Johnny's Sunshine Squash. And okay. I was <clears throat> thrilled to discover it a few years ago. I couldn't get enough of it. And uh, every year it's been worse uh, once I put it into storage. And this year it started to uh, rot pretty fast. And I, I wondered if it's got something to do with a wacky growing season I mean, I've been growing winter squash for years. I've never had this difficulty. Um, have you heard of this happening? Or do you know of any reasons why it might be failing um, to hold up in winter storage?
2: Well, first off, I just want to express my uh, condolences to the rotten <laughs> squash. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> uh, because Sunshine Kaboka is one of our uh, very tasty, it's, a, it's an awesome variety. Um, One of the most important things that you want to deal with uh, when working with the winter squash intended for storage is, uh, first off, make sure that that fruit is completely mature uh, before it's harvested. Uh, And then once it's harvested, make sure you go through a a good curing process um, to form a nice protective harder shell on that fruit. Uh, and then to actually store it in the proper conditions. And this, the curing process will take anywhere from uh, two to three, possibly five days, depending on the weather conditions. Um, you know, you want to make sure that it's, it's cured properly. And if, if the weather conditions outside are not conducive for that, uh, bring it inside to an unheated hoop house for a few days. That's what I do at my place. And, um, and then make sure that it's uh, stored in a very... Um, in a cool, dry condition. Uh, that's really the best advice I can give you on that one.
5: Yeah, I've done all those things. <laughs> um, and I I am still having it, it hasn't been sunshine that I've only had this problem with uh, some of the other squashes have not held up as well as they typically would have over the years. So I've I thought that perhaps something had changed about the squash, or maybe it's, um, I think we tend to have been tending to have some very strange weather conditions where it goes from cold and wet to hot and dry, and I thought maybe that has something to do with it. But um,
2: Well, that's going to also, you know, offer more stress uh, to the plant, which, you know, could be a problem. Um, if you have powdery mildew issues that can get it, that get into the stem, that could also... Uh, be an issue. Um, you know, again, there's so many variables, but uh, really the best thing to really do is to to cure properly and to store properly after the fruit is mature. Um, that's...
0: Karen, hey did you have something to add? And then well, let's wrap it up so we can get the other caller who's waiting on the line.
4: Yeah, I think one of the things oh, we, we all have to recognize is that every year is going to be good for different things. And this year was a particularly difficult year to get uh, sugar levels up in fruits. And that winter squash is a fruit. And overall nutrient health is reflective in that. A lot of people have have told me the flavors this year have been down. It was difficult for people to get a good curing done this year. You know, there's a lot of, last year was a great squash year. This year was a Medium squash here, depending on where you were. So it yeah. does have something to do with it. I, you know, we sell sunshine at Fedco. It's a great variety. Oh, it's um,
6: delicious!
4: So you know, and and these things are, uh, you know, this year was a difficult year for some yeah. for certain crops, and that that was one of them. I had issues okay. with some of my squash too. Yeah. Thank you so
3: much. Okay,
0: Roberta, I guess the last word on this.
3: Sure. Topic. Um, I. Cure my squash for at least four weeks, or at least until um, you can't put a fingernail through the skin. And another thing that I've that I've heard—I really haven't tested it that much for my own squash crop that I keep in the winter—is um, to do a very, you know, to take an oiled rag and uh, vegetable oil or even olive oil and very lightly coat the squash skin, and that keeps pathogens and things from getting onto the surface that can mold it and it might even wipe some things off that may help it's a good tip
0: okay we're going to take the other call that we had waiting on the line can you give your name thank you carol can you give your name and where you're calling from oh sorry oh okay i guess they hung up so (laughs) um so we are taking calls and the number to the studio here is 469 0500. And uh, we can continue on that winter squash topic if we want or mm-hmm. we can move on to another one.
1: Yeah. One one thing that the last caller raised is just the... is totally true. And Heron spoke to it. The, the challenge of variable weather. So if you were in the Connecticut River Valley this year or anywhere in that neighborhood, you had close to 30 inches of rain from September onward. It's hard to cure yeah. anything in those conditions. Yeah. So
0: okay we do have another caller now we have two calls uh so you please give your name and where you're calling from yeah good morning this is mavis from sullivan hi mavis and um it's just
6: great uh hearing fedco and johnny's on the radio um i love it i'm in the midst of my fedco catalog right now and um i'm cooking my ruby perfection squash here for breakfast i got up late um yeah, I wanted to ask about um, the uh, carrot family crops. Um, I've been having trouble in the past about three years with bolting. Um, my celereac, uh brilliant. Um, I've, I had uh, about a third of the crop bolt um, this year and last year as well. Um, one, uh, one thing that I did, I had some in a bed, which was very rich and I had some in a bed, which was not so rich and the not so rich did not bolt. Um, and I wonder if that might be a clue, but also, I mean, even the queen anne's lace is bolting, the parsley is bolting, um, uh, any light to shine on this?
2: Well, um, do you happen to have a Johnny's catalog handy? (laughs) I haven't
6: gotten my Johnny's catalog yet. Oh,
2: oh my gosh. Because uh, I'm sure you've read our catalog before, but we have some very extensive growing information Mm -hmm. uh, for each of our crops.
6: Yeah, I love Johnny's. Johnny's is a little expensive for me, however.
2: Well, um, you know, we are a full-service company, and, you know, we have, you know... (laughs) A lot, a lot going on. But needless to say, uh, if you had your Johnny's catalog in your hand right now, mm-hmm. I direct you to page 23 mm-hmm. uh, to look at the growing information for cel- celery and celeriac. Okay. Uh, and there is an actually bold uh, heading there uh, regarding bolting. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's it's really it's due to uh, having the plants exposed to temperatures below 55 degrees. Uh, for 10 days or more. Hmm. Uh, so when you're hardening off the plants before transplanting out, yeah. uh, just make sure that you reduce the water a little bit. Yeah, uh, And then just, let's see, it says here, do not harden off celery plants by lowering temperatures. So watch out for those low temperatures at the early seedling stage.
6: Yeah, because I do tend to plant the celery out quite early. That seems to say that perhaps I should wait a little later
2: you may want to hold off a little bit till the till the the temperatures settle a little bit Mm -hmm. Uh, i think physiologically the plants getting tricked into going through another season Mm -hmm. and then throwing up its seed stock
6: Uh uh-huh but but nothing about um generally i mean the the, this might hold true for for any uh carrot Family crop. I mean, even even the Queen Anne's lace, which certainly should be adapted to our conditions. Well, um, Bolting. No. I I tended to think that it had something to do with our crazy lengthened season. Or, hi,
4: Mavis. This is Heron from. Bedko. Hi. Well, um, the crops that you're speaking of, most of them are are biennials. Yes. Um, and that period of weather or chilling stress. Which Paul spoke about is, can be that trigger that makes the plant think that it needs to go towards that uh, next step of seed I production. See. So, it, all of the crops that you're speaking of, the carrots and the cell and the celery and the parsley, all fall into that biennial right. category. So, one of the things that we've been struggling with in Maine is the fact that. We've been having these warmer earlier springs, but we've also been having cooler, nights are still cool. Right. We've been getting ourselves into a little bit of trouble with some, with irregular weather, you know, irregular weather. Part of it's part of our climate change situation, and part of it's, you know, we're trying to push the envelope. Mm -hmm. When we push the envelope, we we end up getting into trouble.
6: Yeah.
4: And we're still, we still haven't nailed that down. I think as a community of farmers and gardeners in Maine, we're going to see more of this over the last next couple of years.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Great. I, I okay. just wanted to add to that one that if we hit a period of cool weather in late August, early September, which we did this year, it, it too can trick the plant into thinking, oh, I've been through my growing season and then you warm up again and the plant starts to bolt. So, you know, it's, a, it's both a planting early piece, but also just being really careful in terms of your fall harvest Mm dates.
6: Well, thank you. This has been very
0: enlightening. Thank you for your call, Mavis. Bye-bye. Move on to the next caller who's been waiting. Can you share your name and where you're calling from?
7: Hi, this is Lorraine from Lincolnville. I'm looking at my Fedco catalog. Um, I had a great season with dry shell and dry beans, and I'm sad to see that the limelight had a crop failure. Um, I was wondering, and also the Maine Sunset had a crop failure, and I didn't save all my yummy beans to replant them. So uh, what, what does crop failure mean in the catalog? Does that mean that there was only one farmer that grew it that didn't do well with it and so now we can't order it?
3: Um, it means it, the end result means that we don't have the seed to sell or we just have enough to replant. Um, the reasons for it are as varied as the weather and human nature um, you know, it can be anything from the car, we got the crop in, and then um, mice ate it before we cleaned it, or it could mean that there was a hailstorm in Idaho, or a flood in Connecticut. Um, the The reasons are are incredibly varied as to why we don't we don't get seed crops in, and it's also incredibly frustrating to us. I, my goal is to offer as many varieties and i'm excited about every one of them and it's real hard to have to say to people no we don't have this this year
2: yeah just something i wanted to add i think uh, us in the seed industry uh dislike crop failures more than our customers do because it's it's just one of these um uh, factors that comes into play that you you know that you have no control over in most cases
1: and and here's a, I think a really important reason to not plant everything every year, to hold on to a little bit so you have you have some reserves, um, you know. And the reserves in this case would be, you know, keeping ten percent of your seeds back so you could start a little crop patch this year and have some seed for next year.
0: Thanks for your call. I think we have another one on the line. Oh, we don't. Okay, never mind. We're taking calls. We're talking about the seed catalog and the coming growing season here on Common Ground on WERU, and you can call into the studio at 469-0500. We have uh, quite a extensive wealth of knowledge and experience here amongst uh, Paul Galeone from Johnny Selected Seeds, Roberta Bailey and Heron Breen from Fedco Seeds, and Mofka's own Russell Libby. Um, and I believe we do have call and please give your name and where you're calling from. Uh, My name's John from Friendship. Hey John, what's your question?
8: Uh, Wondering what the difference is between organic seed and regular seed in terms of if you're growing organic crop anyway.
0: That's an excellent question.
3: I can speak to that. This is Roberta from Fedco. Um, An organic, well, Conventional seed crops may, aside from, well, an organic crop is produced by the strict organic certification guidelines. Um, But uh, one of the main reasons that I see for buying an organic crop over a conventional crop is that a conventional crop, like a cabbage crop, may have been sprayed 10 times and produced under um, highly chemical circumstances. And therefore, when you grow it on your organic farm, it may not be as well um, adapted to organic farming practices, whereas an organic crop um, will be much closer to your personal farm practices. Anybody else want to
1: address well, that? One, one of the issues for organic farmers is that you are supposed to make a, a, a strong effort to actually have organic seeds on your farm. It's one of the regulations in the National Organic Program. And you know, 10 years ago, the availability of organic seeds was really limited. There were a few varieties and a few companies with um, you know not very much out there. And because of that requirement, um, pretty much every company, and particularly Johnny's and Fetco and a few other regional companies, have really gone out of their way to both um, source organic seeds, but also to produce organic seed crops. So when you're buying an organic seed crop, particularly from the main companies, in many ways you're supporting your neighboring farmers. So to me, that's a, a you know separate from the regulatory side of it. When you know, you look at the list and you see the varieties, you realize hey, when I buy that, I'm supporting my neighbor. And that's that, to me, is a really important driving factor. I think we're, I, I think we're
4: going to continue to see farms um, use both conventional and organic seed. And one of the things about organic seed that you'll find when you look through a catalog is that a lot of organic varieties are varieties that sometimes you can't find in conventional. So oftentimes we'll find a variety that we have trialed. It's not readily available. And if we have the opportunity to produce it organically, we do. Um, so sometimes you'll find something like that where it's a niche variety or an heirloom variety that we've taken a, a choice to, to grow it organically. Um, both conventional or inorganic varieties, as Roberta said, there is that element of disease resistance and uh, nutri- nutritional requirements that we're trying to, as a seed industry, meet the needs of commercial organic growers um, who are not using high nitrogen inputs and are not doing a, quite an intensive spraying regime so we have to trial everything on that basis and a lot of times in trials the organic variety actually turns out to be the winner and that's and that's when we we're looking at a variety to see is this organic variety the winner versus the conventional varieties because we do trial them side by side to see What's the breeding involved? What's the performance involved? So when you see an organic variety in a catalog, it's not always an issue of a moral decision or a personal decision. Sometimes it's an issue. It's a decision that that's the best variety out of that twenty-five you know variety trial, conventional or organic.
0: Great. We do have another call, so maybe we'll wrap this one up after Roberta has a. Okay.
3: Um, I'd like to speak to. Um, the pea industry right now um peas are are all open pollinated they're very inexpensive um to when you sell you know you they're very inexpensive seed um the selection and as a result seed companies aren't making a lot of money on them the, the seed producers and as a result i think more and more people are seeing Um, a lot of off types a lot of peas in their sugar snaps that may be a snow pea or a shell pea or something like that the the seed companies no longer have the money or to um, rogue their fields to select them and clean them up whereas if you opt for the organic um, strain of that particular variety the the farmers are getting paid more money to produce them, and they're getting paid to roke their fields and clean up the variety. So you may be getting a higher quality seed.
0: Those are interesting insights into the difference between organic and conventional seed, for sure. We do have another call on the line. Can you share your name and where you're calling from?
7: Hi, this is Allison from Brooklyn, and thank you so much for your show. I have a question. I wonder if your guests would like to... Uh, suggest some of the seed crops that they have noticed a lot of pollinators on. And I know that oftentimes a vegetable crop might not depend on pollinators, but perhaps the seed for that crop might. And so that's what I'm interested in. Thank you.
0: Okay, well... uh Well Let Paul get the first stab at this one since he didn't get the last one, and then Roberta. That's all right. Uh, You
2: guys seem to answer that question very nicely. Um, What I would suggest, you're looking for pollinators. We just introduced uh, a new mix this year uh, called our bee, I got to say this right, bee feed mix. Uh, And it's a mixture of, I believe it was 20, 21 different annuals, perennials uh, that... Will actually provide pollen and nectar for your pollinators. Uh, it's new this year, and I would highly recommend you give it a try.
3: Um, Fedco also has um, a beneficials mix, which is for attracting um, for attracting um, pollinators to your garden. It is a mix of annuals and perennials, and um, the, some of the things that I've I make the mix and I've added to it this year because I've noticed in my own garden that they bring pollinators are cilantro when it goes to seed arugula um, poppies and um, oh there was one other that I was thinking of oh hansai Thai it's a brassica that is you that sends up a purple, um sprout you know a a very loose broccoli floret and it goes to seed very quickly and I let it go to seed and I save the seed from it but I always notice how how many pollen how many bees and small small pollinators are drawn to it so one thing you can do is just notice when things go to seed how many insects are coming to them as well as planting a specific mix mm-hmm.
4: Uh, most seed crops. This is Heron from Fedco. Most seed crops, um, you know, are have some level of pollination, whether it's wind or by insect. In my personal experience, I've worked with a lot of cucurbits, and that's those are that's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting morning when you walk through a, a two-acre squash field, particularly if you're intent on pollinating squashes by hand, and opening up flowers that that you've taped and seeing these clever little insects that have defeated all your attempts to keep purity. Um, I, I'm, some of my fondest memories are walking through the field, looking down at flowers and, and being amongst, uh, seeing nine huge bumblebees just at the trough, drinking nectar. And I realized when I was doing the pollinations that this water, which I thought was water, which was dew, which was dripping off of the uh, squash flowers, was not dew, was the nectar. It's actually very tasty. I really it was it was like oh so this is these are what these little ladies are drinking. It's there's so much out there. There's so many insects that are valuable. Um, there's you know bees are really just the beginning. Um, and organic agriculture is probably you know it's one of the great things about being an organic farmer is that I have insects on my farm and I'm always amazed at what's doing what where. It's it's a beautiful process.
0: Great. We do we do have another caller on the line. So can you please give your name and where you're calling from?
9: Hi. I guess that's me.
0: Um, that's you. Yep. <laughs> uh, good morning. Morning. Uh, I'm glad to uh,
9: to see that Fedco is still going strong. I haven't been able to order seeds for a couple of years, but I've used the ones I've saved and. Um, I remember the the old days in the chicken barn, and I remember how cheap seeds used to be. And I know that selling seeds is highly profitable, but I just got my Johnny's catalog to take a look at what was offered. And um, I'm just sort of wondering, and I don't mean to be disparaging, but is it possible you could get rid of some of the stuff like salad spinners and, and lower the prices on some of the seeds? I I can't possibly imagine how I'm going to afford seeds this year. And furthermore, there's many, many people that are considering starting gardens and started them last year, and they're very poor, and, you know, they're going to be thrown over to the Burby's 99 cents a pack, you know, genetically modified Monsanto seeds, and the difference between those and an organic seed is the life force and the genetic strain within it, which is incredibly important to preserve because then it can naturally respond to climate change so i'm just wondering you know if there are any discussions about how to you know fedco was a cooperative to try to get seeds at a cheaper price you know if you could band together with a bunch of people and buy buy an order of seeds you could get you know a garden's worth and you know, whether you were able to propagate a crop or it failed that year, you still didn't lose out too much. So I just wanted to say that because food sustainability and security is becoming increasingly important. More community gardens are starting, more backyard gardens are starting, and people are inventing, reinventing the wheel. We need, you know, we need our seed people and all our other growers to to the opportunity right now.
0: Thank you for your yep. call.
1: yep yeah, i I think you're raising some really important issues and I th- you know Maine is so fortunate to have Johnny's and Fedco and pine tree garden seeds just lined up and they each occupy a little bit different space. you know Johnny's is supplying primarily or or most directly the commercial grower who needs seed tomorrow and you know needs particular varieties and cranks it out and and is an employee-owned company. And FETCO is a worker consumer co-op and has kind of this boundary between commercial growers and a huge homesteading, um, gardening, and then Pine Tree Garden Seeds. Um, and, and we didn't get anybody from there over today because it's 150 miles, but Pine Tree Garden Seeds has the most inexpensive packets and really small sizes and really easy access for home gardeners. And I think we're just so lucky to have that, that range here that um, each of them is kind of doing different things. You know um, there are some varieties at Johnny's that I just love buy every year. but when you buy from Johnny's, you're not just supporting their seed business, but you're supporting their research business and the development of some businesses some varieties that um, wouldn't exist if they were trying to be the least expensive kid on the block. So I just, you know, really grateful for all the opportunities we have here.
0: Okay, I'm just going to move right on to our next caller, since we have a couple people waiting on the line. Can you give your name and where you're calling from?
7: Hello, this is Jenny. I'm calling from Camden. Hi, Jenny. And I just caught the tail end of what you're saying, so I don't know if I'm being repetitive, but an earlier caller had sort of commented about um, seat expense, and uh, I totally get looking at something and feeling like, wow, um, you know, I, that's a little bit more than I'm willing to pay. But Johnny's, for a responsibly-run seed company, is not too expensive. Um, anyway, I live in a microclimate, and I have this sort of foggy, uh, colder, wetter environment. And I was wondering if you had a suggestion for a go-to dry pole bean that maybe could be a three-stage bean for a varying condition.
4: Hi there. This is Heron from Fedco. Yeah, this year um for a three-stage pole bean. Let's see. What do you think, Roberta? Um I know that the the German pole Sorry. Uh, that I know the German pole itself makes an excellent uh an excellent excellent green uh you know, long romano bean as a pole, that's super productive. Um it also has a white seed, which is very similar to a shell, which you can use it as a shell bean. And has a uh, a narrow white seed, but a pretty fairly plump white seed. Basically, looks like a uh, narrow cannellini bean. And there's a whole class of um, um, French bean that this all falls under. And I'm actually referring to my Johnny's catalog here. Um which are French flagellate beans. And the the uh German pole bean has that type of bean that can be used in all those different ways. And it's super productive and very hardy and our friend Sam Birch who's been who provided us the stock seed has grown it a number you know, in a number of different locations and some, some l- number of different seasons, cold and wet and nasty and warm and dry, and it's done good, and that's what I'd recommend.
7: That's the one you recommended at the earlier part of the program? It is, yes. Yeah. Okay, great. And then quickly, if I can get in one more quick question about uh, squash beetle. I was inundated last year, and I'd never seen them before. What does that mean for this season?
2: Well, I'm hoping that all this cold weather without snow <laughs> is giving them a run for their money. Um They are definitely, the the striped cucumber beetle is definitely one of uh, your cucurbits' biggest enemies. Um, I find, uh, well, what we do at the farm at Johnny's and I utilize the same practice at my farm, is right from the day of planting, whether you're sowing seed or putting out a transplant, cover it with fabric uh, because that will be really the only foolproof, really the best method to keep them off. And then once those cucurbits start flowering, generally it's the same time that they start pushing the covers off. You want to remove those covers so that way the pollinators can get in.
7: Okay, so I have to get over my fear of row cover and just do it.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and, and the thing is with the striped cucumber beetle, all it takes is a little bit of damage early in the season. Um, and there can the, the plant the insects can either wipe out the plants or spread bacterial wilt. There are a number of issues with it, so you definitely want to cover first and foremost.
0: Well, thank you so much. This is such a great program.
2: Great. Thank you. Thank
0: Bye. you. Uh, we do have another caller on the line, so could you share your name and where you're calling from, please?
10: Uh, yes, this is Jim Bunn. I live in Garland. We're um, about on the 45th parallel. We're considerably away from the from the ocean. Um, we use... Uh, Fedco Seeds and Johnny's exclusively. I met uh, Rob Johnson and C.R. Lawn in the early 70s, and uh, I talked to my friends from away about how successful their businesses are. Uh, I'm very proud of that for them. Um, This year we put up a um, 17 by 48 foot hoop house. It's about 10 feet tall. And we we had great luck in uh, great crops of tomatoes and uh, peppers. That's what we pretty much grew in there. Um, Pretty much uh, just perfect fruit, and uh, so much that we just gave some away to friends nearby. Um, I did plant some, um, I planted some arugula and some uh, lettuces in October, and as I found out, I probably should have planted them in late August or September, but we are eating arugula and a little bit of spinach out of those. They are inside the hoop house. Uh, they, I, I have them also covered with um, one layer of agribon. Our coldest day was um, just a couple of days ago. It was four below uh, Fahrenheit. Inside the hoop house uh, was the coldest temperature. It was 31 degrees Uh, at about 7.30 in the morning and the sun came out and uh, the temperature went up into the 40s those are my comments I have one question in that uh, because inside the greenhouse it's not going to get really cold is there anything I should do to uh, have a defense against uh, insects that might have uh, stayed over? And I'll take my comments off the
0: phone. Thank you for your call, Jim. Well,
2: I, I, right off the bat, I would say your best defense for any type of insect activity, is, especially in a high tunnel, is, is to really uh, be observant, utilize uh, rotations. Um, I don't think that you're going to have a whole lot of insect activity at this point, And what you're going to have to watch out for is once the longer days in the spring Uh, come in and start warming up the temperatures consistently. Uh, Make sure that you scout on a regular basis for any type of insect activity. Uh, The other thing that uh, a lot of growers find uh, being an issue is make sure to ventilate. Uh, High humidity conditions in a high tunnel uh, can really um, amplify some disease issues. So ventilate if you can when the temperatures get you know, upwards of 80 degrees, 75, 80 degrees, um, and just scout, look around, be aware of what's going on. Going on.
4: I'd like to say hi to my friend Jim there. Hi, Jim.
0: He already got off the line. <laughs> um, I think we're going to try to squeeze in one more question before we run out of time. Can you please give your name and where you're calling from and share your question without taking too much time?
8: Well, I won't waste time with my name. My question (laughs) is, I did not, I have three, and I'll just go through them. Uh, They've been accumulating, of course, since I was cut off early. Um, I did not hear answered the question that uh, 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 was uh, seeking clarification about the difference between F1 hybrid and organic. I heard a talk which was about organic and non-organic, but I want to hear a talk about organic and F1 hyd- Uh Also, I uh, wonder whether you're testing your tomatoes for uh, uh, dr- drying, uh, w- for I found a lot of cherries which tasted horrible uh, ripe, contrary to your predictions, actually tasted quite good when dried. Uh, the third question... Uh, I wonder whether it's part of your growth uh, philosophy that any really successful business is going to eventually put itself out of business. Uh, and I would chime in with the one caller who was saying, why so many? I, it's a lot of work to grow a seed, and I don't want to be growing the wrong one. And you guys doing the uh, trialing and testing, I would like to think that you were providing me with just a few Varieties which would work, rather than a multiplicity to titillate my board palate, uh, and keep yourselves in business. We have to develop plants which you know can be seed saved, which can be kept and and will become specific locality uh, successful, depending on uh, their. Let me jump. Okay, in. I'm off.
4: Let, yeah, let yeah, me jump in there. We've um, got about two minutes. Yeah. So. <laughs> the discussion of F1 uh, hybrids versus organic is a is it would be a pretty long discussion to have at this short time. But I think I think probably all of us here in the room would say that F1 hybrids there actually are organic hybrids being produced that are F1s, and F1 hybrids have their place in commercial agriculture, and so does organic seed. But that's a much broader discussion. Um, and as to uh, Putting ourselves out of business? No, I mean most of us here are. You know, the seed industry is is a tight ship. It has to be run as a tight ship. It's a competitive business, but also it's not a high profit business. I think people have that misinterpretation. Um, We're doing our best, as you said, to offer you high performing varieties that suit your needs, both as a gardener and as a farmer. And Johnny does a great job at that. We're doing our best. We do a great job at that. We're all trying to, like you said, offer you, we're not just offering you a mishmash. We are trying to, to actually offer you things that work. That's our job. That's why we're in business.
0: Okay. We are out of time. I'd, really, I'd like to send my thanks to our guests today. We had a very nice discussion. Paul from Johnny's, Roberta and Heron from Fedco, thank you so much. And also I'd like to thank Amy Brown, who engineered the show and who I always forget to thank. So Mucho thanks for all the other times that I forgot. (laughs) Be sure to join us next month when we'll be talking about keeping a family cow. That'll be Friday, February 3rd at 10 a.m. right here on your community radio, WERU-FM, and on Common Ground Radio with your host, Mafka. Till then, have fun planning for the growing season to come, and we'll see you next week at the trade show.